So, um, what are we what are we calling you today, buddy? How am I how am I going? Milo is my Milo. name. Okay. Um, so, Milo, tell me a little bit about what we're talking about today. <clears throat> um. Well, I am a huge fan of yours, and I just wanted to bounce kind of my ego off of you and, and see if you have anything to say. Pretty much as soon as I started, uh, like as soon as you popped up in my recommended videos on YouTube, mm -hmm. you just, everything you were saying was really resonating with me. And it's really surreal that like, it's coming to the point where I'm actually talking with you. Um, so I guess we can talk about uh, cannabis addiction and, and how I'm dealing with that. That goes a lot in, uh, that's kind of wrapped up with a lot of my other vices and, and kind of issues with depression and, and mental illness and such. Sure. It's all kind of a big, it's a big uh, fucking tangled ball of, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big I, shit stew. Yeah, it really is, man. I'm I'm so sorry that you know you're struggling with a lot of stuff. That's the way I see it. I mean, I think, um, you know, if I can just monologue or soapbox for a second, I, like this is what I see, right? So, and I think this is where psychiatry actually falls a little bit short because what psychiatry does is it takes a person like you and we give you like half a dozen diagnoses. Right, we'll say that you've got like ADD and you've got anxiety and depression and and cannabis use disorder and and stuff like that. But I I think that, you know, the more I work with people, like I just don't think that they've got like four separate disease processes, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's like one it's like one tangled ball of something, and then it kind of like 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 I almost think that our psychiatric psychiatric diagnoses are symptoms. They're not actually like diseases. I mean, not yeah. true of, of all things, but. Um, some of them really are disease processes, but, um, yeah, so I, I kind of echo what you're saying about it sort of being tangled together. So let's try to untangle it. Uh, well, uh, the other thing is you said you wanted to bounce your ego off of me. Yeah. I... What does that mean? Oh, you cut out a little bit. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I mean, I just want to. At, like hear somebody else's uh especially professionals take on um hello hello can you hear me yeah can you hear me yeah did the video cut out for you nope i'm fine oh, okay um i don't know i mean like you know who who I am and who I think I am is like just a persona. Okay. And it would be interesting to hear somebody else's <clears throat> kind of professional opinion on what I've got going on. And I've heard you, you know, call a lot of other people out on on kind of bullshit and like. Um, devices like ego. I see. Devices of sort. So, do you yeah. think. Uh, actually, can you hold on a second? I'm just going to shut a door. I'll be right back. Sure.
It's like night and day when kids are back in the playground. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so okay, so I see. So it sounds like you maybe suspect that your ego is pretty active. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so I'm going to give Twitch chat an assignment, okay? So we're so one of the things that I, I want to uh, think, I want to try to teach you guys is to be like present and pay attention to what you see in other people and what you see in yourselves. So I'm going to point some of this stuff out to you, Milo, but just so they can kind of follow along. I want you guys to kind of pay attention to when you think Milo's ego is speaking and when his ego is not speaking. So... A quick rundown. So, Milo, since you use the word ego, it sounds like you've been watching our stuff. So, what's your understanding of what ego is? Let's start there. Um, it's the thing that isn't your true self, and it's your <coughs> your kind of biologically and socially cultivated uh, organism that uses survival techniques to stay alive okay so uh, what i want Mm -hmm. um so i'm going to give you guys a couple of clues to notice when the ego is running milo's mind okay and the first thing that we're going to look for is comparisons so when we anytime our mind compares us to someone else that's usually a sign of ego i mean i say usually um so you know if, if if milo says something like oh other people are able to do this but i'm not able to do this that's like a comparison. So keep an eye out for ego. Um, anytime, the other thing that, that the ego tends to do is pump ourselves up and put other people down. So I'm not really expecting this from you, but if you start to you know, talk about how other people are stupid or things like that, that's likely to be ego. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so let's just kind of keep track. And if you guys notice the ego is going on, you know, just mention it in, in chat. Milo, I'd say, you know, steer clear of chat if you can during the duration of our, our talk. Yeah, I'm not watching it at all. Okay, awesome. So let's let's kind of uh, dive right in. So tell me a little bit, I mean, do you want to start with cannabis or you mentioned other vices or like where, where how do we start to untangle this ball of, of the shit stew? Well, it started with video games, definitely. Tell me about that. Yeah. So like a lot of people you talk to i was a user of video games from a really really young age Mm -hmm. um how young and probably like seven okay and what did you play the first game that i ever really really got into was a game called dungeon siege Hmm. um which was like kind of a diablo-esque top down like action rpg thing um and yeah just kind of evolved from there i played a lot of warcraft 3 throughout the years i still play that one um what do you think about remastered it's pretty upsetting yeah pretty sad okay yeah what's upsetting Um, about it um well, to be honest, like, I'm really not super uh, concerned with Blizzard at all anymore just because of how they treated the uh, the whole protest in China 
thing. Mm. Um, so it's shitty, but I could be happy like never purchasing a, a Blizzard product again. Yeah. 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 But I, I didn't get Reforged because I honestly don't even think my computer could handle it is another thing. Interesting. I have a really shitty computer. Um, but I just heard that the servers were crashing all the time and it had just a myriad of other issues. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still game now? Yeah. What do you play? Warcraft 3. Wait, does this still um, work? I thought they shut it down. The old one? Yeah. No, it's like... Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah, it's, it still works, basically. Oh, interesting. Okay. What race do you play? It's just, it's just like... um like a limited it's the same game reforged and the classic one mm-hmm. um yeah what but, race or races do you play like you play like regular games or you play custom maps mostly custom maps but when i am playing regular games i usually pick orc and go blade master or tc awesome man i was a big yeah. undead player Undead is sick as fuck. Yeah, man. I used to love going Lich first, but it wasn't very good. I just wish I could pull it off. But um, yeah, cool. Yeah, and I played a lot of Dota like back in the day, like when Dota Mm -hmm. was in in War Three. But the OG Dota. Yeah, the original. Um, Mm -hmm. So cool. So and and what are you? How are you spending your most of your time nowadays? Um. Well. One thing that's always been a huge passion for me has been music and this kind of, so I've been kind of getting my shit together lately in a positive way. Cool. Um, like as of maybe like December or January, 2020. Um, and one thing that's come with that is a huge increase in, um, my time spent playing guitar and practicing music which has which has always been like kind of sidelined by uh video game addiction and um cannabis usage as well sure which i help me understand uh, what changed in december or january why are you getting your shit together now um i read this book called atomic habits Mm -hmm. i don't remember who it's by but do i have it right here no, no. Um, and it just kind of talked about how um, willpower is overrated, and and the real way to like it talked it it broke down the science of um, of building good habits and breaking bad habits, and why we naturally build bad habits and and don't stick with good habits. um yeah and i just kind of took the principles from that book and was able to establish a pretty consistent um so i've I've been doing push-ups every day i've been meditating every day wow Uh, just about this this year um yeah and like I I also I'm no longer like I'm not a smoker anymore, but that was something that I stopped in about September. 
Um, and I had like wanted to to no longer be a cannabis smoker for a long time at that point. I felt that it was being really destructive on my life. How so? But um, I felt like it was just kind of uh, really messing with my mental faculties. In what way? Like, have you heard the term the brain fog? Yeah. I felt just, um, I felt just incredibly mentally slow and like dumber than I am. And, um, I, I try to not like identify this, identify with this anymore, but, um, uh, my intelligence has always been like a really uh, important part of my life, you know, and I and I value being smart or whatever, which yeah. I think is a yeah. which I think is a silly, arbitrary thing at this point. But but it was one of the few things that I thought I really had going for me, and cannabis was uh, just uh, seriously messing me up. So Milo, you're making my my job hard, man. You know why? So like I've noticed this trend recently. Like I don't know if, if other people have noticed this, but like people are like doing better. And and when we started streaming, we were getting absolute train wrecks. Mm-hmm. And you talk about the shit stew, but here I'm talking about like so I thought we were talking about cannabis addiction. It sounds like you stopped smoking pot like six months ago. Yeah. Right? And and we're talking about you're talking about atomic habits. You're talking about push-ups every day. You're talking about uh, playing guitar, which is awesome. Um, and mm-hmm. and I I love to continue supporting you. It's just I'm noticing like a trend, and I'm not just sure if it's like a selection bias or what. But it sounds like people are actually starting to make changes in their life. And it sounds like you mean people in your sphere, like people that you're talking to, and people on yeah. stream and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I think maybe you should take that as a sign that you are making a huge impact in people's lives. I will. I would love to take that as a sign, but it also sounds like you started you your your journey started before I ever showed up, right? Yeah, certainly, right. So I'd love to take credit for transforming your life, but I think actually, at case in point. For everyone who's watching, I don't transform lives, right? So Milo's been working at it for a while, and maybe we can talk a little bit more and, and understand a little bit more. But I, I'm beginning to notice a slight shift in terms of I'd certainly like to help you. I'm happy to. Um, but I think I'm noticing that actually, Milo, you may be able to. So it used to be that like you were the person getting healed and I was the healer. But mm-hmm. I think you've leveled up, like you've skilled up some healing skills yourself, right? Like, because you're already, and you can actually help people by um, telling us and sharing with us, like what was different one year ago and like what's different today. Does that make sense? I agree with that. And I would love to, yeah. to do that. So, so let's just kind of keep that in mind. I think let's just take, let's go back though and try to understand a little bit about more about cannabis. Um, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted to kind of point out that I think things are changing here, you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah. Good for you, dude. Um, so tell me a little bit about when you started using pot. Um, 
I think the first time was either the summer of my freshman year of high school or the summer before that. I can't remember. Okay. And it was like a lot of people say they don't get high the first time Mm -hmm. because if your cannabinoid receptors aren't totally awake or something. Um, But that was not the case for me. And it was a super excellent experience. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, And as I kind of slowly started to get more into it, um, I I would do it maybe like once a month, my first couple years of high school. Um, And then I increased a little bit after high school. And then after, I mean, in my junior and senior year, and then after high school, I really started ramping it up. But during high school, I really saw it as um, a tool to kind of discover myself um, because at the time I was really, really, (coughs) excuse me, I was really wrapped up in kind of the popularity uh, hierarchy and I just wanted to like hang out with the cool kids and I was so upset that you know I wasn't like what did these kids have that I don't that that makes them you know cool and popular and liked and Mm -hmm. me not um and smoking cannabis kind of helped me like understand that like I'm okay with myself and it's okay to to be to be me and I don't need other people's approval basically and wow uh that that helped me kind of in like my senior year really um really how does cannabis just enjoy myself by not worrying about that kind of thing how does cannabis help like free you from those worries do you remember that um i think it just it made me super introspective um and that introspection brought a lot of insight um and i had always until it started like really fucking up my life i had always really thought that cannabis was a very useful tool in that way and i still do think like i think for people who don't have um like addictive tendencies i think it can be a very very it can be a tool definitely how do you know if you have addictive tendencies um if what does that mean your if your consumption of something is becomes problematic and difficult to stop i would say sure so would you say that you had addictive tendencies in high school not at all no um I used it quite infrequently, and it was always nothing but positive during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm just going to try to organize things for a second. Mm-hmm. So, Milo, once again, I'm, I'm kind of recalibrating a little bit about what this discussion is. So a lot of times when people come here, my primary goal is to help them. And if we're talking about cannabis addiction and you haven't really smoked for six months, I'm sort of changing a little bit about what we're talking about, right? 
So yeah. I'm wondering if what would be better is actually for, uh, so I still want to help you and we can kind of talk more if there's something, I mean, is there some kind of challenge or some issue that you have that I can help with? Um, well, the cannabis addiction, uh, I don't know if I said this earlier, it completely intertwines with my video game addiction and just sure. internet addiction and, and so on. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's some, that's like quitting six months ago. Um, and n like still having a lot of the problems that I thought that I like attributed to cannabis consumption. Um, I realized that the bigger problem was video game addiction, which was something that was a problem long before I ever smoked for the first time. Okay. Um, all right. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the rest of the, you know, ingredients of the shit stew. Mm -hmm. And then what I'd like to do, uh, maybe a little bit more towards like, let's say the end is Milo, since you've kind of come a long way, what I think could be useful is for us to use some of your experiences as kind of examples for broader principles that are more um, applicable, like more broadly applicable. So how can we understand general things about identity and ego and like how cannabis interacts with those? For example, you say that cannabis made you more introspective mm -hmm. and through that introspective, you gained insights and through those insights, you became less concerned about popularity. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing is, I don't know if people caught this or not, but you, when you were describing your high school experience, that's an ego experience because you asked yourself the question, why are those kids popular and I am not? Yeah, totally. Right? So that's an ego point. Now, the interesting mm -hmm. thing is that you attribute your growth in that way through the insight you gained from cannabis. I don't think it was actually an insight that you gained from cannabis because I don't know if you guys have figured this out or not. You have a lot of insights when you're on cannabis, but rarely does your life change from them, right? Anyway, you're, you're, what do you think? Well, I mean, if I had an insight due to the fact that I was on cannabis and it changed my life, which it did by making me give less of a shit about the popularity complex, wouldn't that mean that it was directly related to it cannabis? Would, it would suggest so, but I think actually the important thing is not the insight you had. I think the important thing, this is exactly what, what I'm talking about. So I think the important thing is that instead of your mind focus on the uh, focusing on the external, your mind began focusing on the internal. I don't think it was the insight that you had. I think it was the introspection. The act of introspecting shifts what your, your mind is focusing on. So I want you to think about your mind like a spotlight. And when you're in high school and you're comparing yourself to other people, you're putting the spotlight on them and how you're not like them. And when you mm -hmm. introspect, you're putting the spotlight on yourself. And the more that you put the spotlight on yourself, the less comparison naturally happens. Does that make sense? Like yeah. if I'm on an island and there's nothing for me to compare myself to, it's very difficult for my ego to exist because my mind cannot externalize and make comparisons. 
So this mm-hmm. is exactly my point is that I think a lot of people believe that it's the insight from the introspection. But what I'm really curious about and what I would encourage you to explore is whether it is the insight from introspection or it is the act of introspection in and of itself that reduces ego. Because if we look at something like atomic habits, I think the reason that you're able to change is not because you gained some information, but once again, the the atomic habits book was a trigger for you to introspect. And you may have gained some things through that introspection, but I think the key thing here, if we look at the common element between how you've changed from atomic habits and how you've changed from cannabis, you're gaining different insights, fine, but the key element here is that your focus is on reflection and introspection. And that's where the money is. That's my hypothesis that I'm putting forward. You're entitled to agree or disagree? But I, I partially agree. I think that the external factor of a book or a drug or whatever can be something to direct that spotlight. Um, and I, and I definitely think that there's the potential to, um, to just look inwardly and change. I think that's kind of what like meditation leads to. Um, but I'm not sure if it, it's, I think it's like, um, like a, a sprinkler versus a pressure washer. Which one is which? Directing your focus with like a book or something or some kind of frame of thought is more concentrated in a pressure washer as opposed to just sitting with yourself and and being introspective and like allowing uh, whatever thoughts to arise. I completely agree with you. So I completely agree that you're saying that an external tool can really focus your introspection and allow you to gain greater insights through that focused introspection. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. And if you just sit there and you just kind of like listen to your thoughts, that's like a sprinkler and you're not going to get anything done. I completely agree with you. The question still remains just because it allows you to focus your spotlight. Is it the drug itself or is it the act of focusing internally? Which one is responsible? So I agree that the drug allows you to focus internally more easily. But then Mm -hmm. the question becomes, if it's the focusing internally that's actually important, can you train yourself? Can you take a sprinkler and turn it into a garden hose? And then furthermore, can you cover part of the garden hose so you have a high pressure amount of water, right? Can you actually train yourself to do what the drug does for you? I think with immense immense uh concentration dedication i completely agree with you there as well like um the thing that comes to mind is uh i think it was with destiny you were talking about the analogy with psychedelics of like taking a helicopter Mm -hmm. to the top of a mountain versus um you know, just trekking up the whole mountain, but it's the same thing either way. So I, I feel like the same analogy applies here in terms of, um, 
kind of one is without external stimulus and there's a much more uh, long-term, slow-moving, laborious process. Absolutely. Agree with you 100%, yeah. man. So um, mm-hmm. just kind of kind of going, going back to your narrative or your story, so it sounds like marijuana was actually quite helpful for you in a lot of ways. Um, it was a overwhelmingly positive experience. You actually used it to free yourself a little bit from your ego. It made high school to be like a little bit more comfortable because you were less bogged down in like popularity and stuff. When did it start yeah. to become a problem? Um, I really started ramping up, um, after senior year of high school, started smoking on a weekly basis where before I was smoking, you know, maybe on a monthly or even like a bi-monthly basis. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also started taking dabs, which What, what does that mean? It's the, so beer is to liquor as like flower, bud, cannabis is to dabs. So it's a concentrated Mm. THC oil that is incredibly like, it will just fuck your shit up. It's super powerful. In Um, what way does it fuck your shit up? So bud is like maybe... 15 to 25 or 30 percent thc in like just throughout the nug that's the chemical percentage um dabs can get up to like 80 percent 90 percent 95 even like 99 or 100 percent thc um so it's like super super potent and you're also not getting any of the kind of natural, um, even though a lot of this has been kind of bred out in the cannabis industry, you're not getting a lot of the um, kind of uh, CBD or some of the other chemicals that maybe kind of balance balance out the, the high a little bit. Um, so I, I don't know if this is what directly led to it, but um, I had a I had a mental breakdown. What was diagnosed as a manic episode in college, and before that was happening, I was um, basically staying up all night playing video games and just dabbing all day, um, and doing not much else, not going to class at all. Did the um, people Did the people um, who diagnosed you with a manic episode know what was happening before that? Did you tell like did they know that you were using dabs very heavily? Um I don't know. Okay. I don't know about that. Yeah, so, it it could totally be some uh some cannabis induced psychosis, which is which is part of the reason that I sometimes doubt my diagnosis. Yeah, so Milo, um I'm going to be very careful with what I say, okay? So the Mm -hmm. purpose of of this conversation is to provide general education and not diagnose or treat you with any medical conditions. So I'm going to make some general statements about diagnostics and some of my experiences with misdiagnosis. Mm -hmm. So 
if we see a manic episode, like let's say someone gets hospitalized with a manic episode, we give them a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Oftentimes, there are evidence-based treatments for bipolar disorder that include medications, and sometimes those medications can have anywhere from no to heavy side effects. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we, we oftentimes believe as providers that the side effects of the medications are worth the benefit of preventing another manic episode. Mm -hmm. The really, really important thing is that sometimes manic episodes are not caused by, by bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. So bipolar disorder is an episodic illness, which involves periods of depression and periods of mania or hypomania. So the periods of depression are characterized by weeks to months of feeling super down, having low energy, having trouble getting out of bed, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. The periods of hypomania or mania, so let's start with hypomania, are char characterized by periods of time of high mental activity, oftentimes higher energy, oftentimes reduced needs for sleep despite maintaining some relatively high function. Mm -hmm. Interesting side point, the, the prevalence, which means how common type 2 bipolar disorder is, and type 2 bipolar disorder means hypomania. So the amount of kids who have hypomania at Harvard University is three times the national average. What do you think about that? I think hypomania can be like very useful if you are living in a productive world. My uncle uh, is BP2, and he uses his hypomania in his work um, and like in his kind of hobbies. And it, one of his hobbies is to uh, create unmanned electric um, like RC planes. And he has like seven world records for the fastest and the best planes in the world. Cause he gets into his hypomania and he'll just grind. Yep. So hypomania can feel wonderful. Unfortunately, it usually yeah. comes at a cost of depression afterward. Mm -hmm. And, and so the reason I'm, I'm not giving you medical advice, but what I would encourage you to do, I haven't asked you if you're on medications or if you're in treatment or anything. I actually am not interested in learning that stuff because that becomes mm -hmm. more of a medical relationship. But what I will tell you is that if you are on medication or if you are in treatment, it is very important for your providers, and this is true of everyone, is very important for your providers to know whether you are on substances or not and to what extent you are using substances because that can muddy mm -hmm. the diagnosis. Yeah. So anytime I have a patient who has any kind of substance use and depression, I don't truly know if they have depression or that's the substance that's making them depressed. You can't really make a true clean diagnosis of depression or bipolar disorder until you get a clean brain. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you to, if you are still in treatment, to share with your providers that detail because I think it's quite important. And the reason for that is because I would hate for people to be on medications that they don't need to be on. Yeah. Well, I, they definitely knew I had THC in my system. Like when I went to the hospital, yeah. so I'm not sure how, and like, I went to like three different hospitals over the course of 10 days and did outpatient treatment and shit or inpatient treatment and a little bit of outpatient treatment. 
I'm not sure how like all of the information permeated throughout the entire yep. process and throughout the entire medical community. Um, so I, I guess I would assume that there was some awareness. Yeah. So what I'm you telling you, so? what I'm telling you is that medical information getting passed between different institutions is fucking like, it's bad. Right. <laughs> so like, like it's bad. So if you, if you are very lucky and you have a very thoughtful clinician who is also not like overworked, then mm-hmm. they maybe had the time to look through things. But what I'm saying is that this is a, a danger of our medical system. So once something gets slapped into your chart, like it takes a lot of effort for someone to like take you from scratch and not be influenced and like not do like a thorough workup from the get go. So they yeah. just assume that providers in the past made good judgments, which may not be like, it, and it's not a bad assumption, but you kind of get like what happens to a lot of people, especially with mental health diagnoses, because we can't test for it, right? It's not like we can do an x-ray and see if you're bipolar or not. Yeah. And the other, th- the other reason that mental health providers do that, it's not necessarily our fault because, you know, we didn't see you when you were manic. So we just have to trust the person before that they're not a dumbass. And that they mm-hmm. made a right diagnosis. And I don't even think that they were necessarily a dumbass. I think it can be like presumptive mania. And they could have had yeah. a question mark. The problem is that when they send a bill to your insurance company because they want to get paid, they can't leave a question mark. Because an insurance company is not going to pay for anything if they have a mm-hmm. question mark. So they have to label you with something in order to get compensated. And that label sometimes carries forward and can actually negatively impact your care. Yeah. So I would just encourage you, if you are still in treatment or enter treatment in the future, to, you know, share this information, share the extent of your substance use so that you give your clinician an opportunity to really like get to know the full picture and give you like a diagnosis from scratch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry for that tangent. It's just, I think that's a really, really important. No, that was helpful for people to know um because i i think Mm -hmm. it's it's unfortunate we just have a lot of you know it's it's a mix of bad systems it's a mix of like insurance and like the medical documentation is not actually geared towards providing clinical care like i don't know if you guys have ever seen your chart but it's just like this pile of auto-populated copy-pasted shit Mm -hmm. it's not about like thinking or clinical care it's all about justifying because insurance companies, in order to get paid, you have to like include all kinds of information that they want you to include. So that's what you include. And then while you're spending time including all that crap, like you don't have time to you know write a page about what you actually think is going on. Mm-hmm. You um, have to be put into a box. Yep. And shit gets overlooked. Yep. Exactly. So I think as as a patient, <clears throat> it is very important for you to take responsibility and not assume that, you know, your providers have gone through your chart and things like that. Like, and you can be respectful about it. You shouldn't assume that they haven't. You can just ask. Like, if, mm-hmm. and, and these are things, unfortunately, that we don't teach kids, right? Like, so a lot of times people get hospitalized, like, in their late teens or early 20s, and no one has taught you how to talk to a provider because you don't have what, you don't have any idea what the fuck is going on. You get taken to yeah. a hospital, people come in, people come out, they're the experts. You're like, I don't know what to do. It's very hard to advocate for yourself. Because you don't even know what you're supposed to be advocating for. No one Mm -hmm. teaches you this stuff. 
Um, anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but you know, take care of yourself and, and all of you guys should talk to your providers. And if you have concerns about your diagnosis, like it's our job and we have ethical responsibilities. We have ethical duties to like not misdiagnose you and like conceptualize you from scratch. We owe that to you. So you should ask for it. If you think that you've been labeled with something that isn't fair, or you've been labeled with half a dozen things by half a dozen people, chances are some of that shit is wrong. Mm-hmm. One thing though. Yeah. This is so bad, but like, I I get to be on my own soapbox and complain about the stigma of mental illness now, and also like use it uh, hypocritically at the same time as like a crutch and as like an excuse Beautiful. for certain things. Let's talk about that. Okay. How do you use mental illness as a crutch? <sighs> Um, well, it's easy to explain, like, it's easy to say, oh, I'm not an asshole. I am just bipolar. Yep. I have a mental illness, you know? What does that allow you to do, Milo? It allows me to make excuses for, and not, not do that crucial introspection. Absolutely. How does that affect your life? Um, I would assume it slows down the emotional and mental maturity, maturation. Mm -hmm. What do you think it does for you professionally, academically? Um, well, professionally and academically, I'm in a, I'm in a bit of a rut or a pit right mm -hmm. now so it's not doing much um do you think like i don't i don't think it's directly related to to where i'm currently at i think that has a lot to do with just um my cannabis addiction and my video game addiction and, and sure. making poor decisions in in college so what um, I'm hearing from that statement is that you accept responsibility for where you are professionally and academically based on your addictive behaviors instead of using bipolar as an excuse. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So Yeah, I'm not like, oh, I can't get a job because of this diagnosis. It's not like that. What have you used the diagnosis as a crutch for? Can you give us an example? Let's see. Like the main thing that comes, I, I, I wouldn't use it for anything like seriously. Uh, I don't know, drastic or dramatic. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I just, it's mostly the only times I've like kind of uh, like cheesed it was. Beautiful, um, beautiful word usage. Cheesed it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I've only cheesed it in like social situations, basically to like um, maybe like shut somebody up who's like using bipolar in a derogatory manner, which it is sometimes used. Like people say like, oh, I'm so bipolar. I was happy yesterday and I'm sad today. It's like a really good way to shut somebody up like that. 
Um, I think the I think the most I use it is as an excuse towards myself and for myself, Very like true. having this label, you know, defines me and it limits me and all these things. And and when you use it as an excuse for yourself, what do you let yourself get away with? Um. Not doing shit. Like what? For the most part. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe just not mentally pushing myself or or trying in in certain certain circumstances. It really so like the only experience I've ever had that would lead me to kind of um, that would seem to substantiate the diagnosis was this one episode, which was super bad, super traumatic and a fuck ton of depression for, for the last, like, you know, maybe eight or nine years. Um, okay. Pretty constant over those eight or nine years or would fluctuate? Um, it would, it fluctuated in like an upward trend, upward being more, more, depression. more depression. So it yeah. kind of progressively got worse over eight or nine years. Yeah. Okay. Kind of as I started having more responsibility in life, started doing generally worse in school, um, started to feel lonelier and have less friends. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and at a certain point along there, like when were you diagnosed with bipolar in that eight or nine year stretch? When uh freshman year of college and the eight or nine year stretch that you're describing is from when to when? Um, I'm 23 now. So like 14 or 15. Okay. To, to now. And like three years ago, almost three years ago, I think was the okay. was the episode. Um, what was I saying? You were just talking about how the depression was getting worse and worse gradually. Yeah, and and at some point in that upward trend, um, the cannabis smoking stopped becoming like this cool, fun spiritual tool and started becoming like a uh numbing agent what were analgesic you... is that the word that is the word okay yeah yeah um by the way before we let you go remind me to talk to you about intelligence about what intelligence intelligence okay um well what were you numbing what were you using to what was it num what was it numbing um, I think kind of anxiety towards the future and anxiety about responsibilities towards the future. Um, I uh, had and have a very fortunate upbringing and tons of opportunity to be a successful person. And I feel that I've squandered a lot of that and um 
that just feels bad, man. So uh, I don't like what, what being is that, on that. What does that mean? Right. So I understand that everyone who's watching understands that it feels bad and they know exactly what you're talking about. But let's mm -hmm. put words to it. Okay. Um, I feel so I'm a really kind of philosophical person and I like thinking really big and really deep. And a lot of the times I feel like, like, um, every decision made by all of my thousands of ancestors and your thousands of ancestors, you know, and all the decisions, all the wars and everything fought has led to like this moment. And we are the latest edition. We are like the, you know, the newest model of human. And with that, I feel comes a lot of responsibility, especially, like I said, coming from, um, you know, a very financially stable background where I never had to worry about, um, you know, where the next meal would come from or anything like that. And yeah, it just feels like, um, squandering that is squandering like what? the opportunities that have been cultivated and do you think your oppor the opportunities that you've been given in life make your life easier or harder? You cut out there. Make Sorry. me wet. Do, do you feel like the opportunities you've been given in life make it easier or harder? Um, that's an interesting question. Like, like somebody who is who has to struggle to survive every day is obviously going to have a lot of difficulty, but they're going to have like a mental fortitude that someone like myself is probably not going to really have. And I think that's a very useful, uh, trait. Like, like there is, there is kind of a downside to security because it makes you, um, not really deeply subconsciously concerned about um, a lot of like survival aspects that a lot of other people are. Mm -hmm. So we're going to just dig into this a little bit more. Okay. So, so it sounds like you view opportunities as advantages that you've squandered. You don't view them as handicaps. What do you mean? Right. So like, it sounds like you feel somewhat, ashamed or maybe guilty or something like that, that you have all of this privilege and that you haven't done something with it. Yep. So it sounds like you view an opportunity as an advantage. Um, cause we don't talk about it. Yeah, I suppose so. Right. So it, until we had this discussion. So if we, if, if mm -hmm. I say I've squandered an opportunity, like that's clearly an advantage. It's like, you know, we're about to do some Game of Thrones spoilers here. So if you guys want to mute yourselves, go for it. But one of the best things that I saw at the end of, have you seen Game of Thrones? Yeah. Okay. So if you, one of the best, the funniest comments I heard was, you know, at the end of season seven, when Daenerys has three dragons, we're about to see like how Daenerys squanders a three dragon lead in a war, mm -hmm. right? She's going to throw really, really hard. 
Yeah. So we don't when we th- the word squander implies advantage. Yep. So when you like beat yourself up for squandering your opportunities, you're like, oh, I'm such a fuck up because all these people like they don't even have like the opportunities that I have, whether they be financial, whether they be an uncle who's like actually motivated to like build cool stuff and like win contests. It sounds like you have people in your life. It's not just financial capital. It may be some amount of like family support or role models or things like that. So you have a lot of opportunities. And then you blame yourself for not taking advantage of them, right? So therefore, opportunities are advantages. Yeah. Duh. Now, the interesting thing is that when I asked you, are opportunities advantages, you kind of changed your tune a little bit. Mm-hmm. So what do well, you th- I had to think about it? Yes, that's the point. Right? So I, I want so like let's just let's just look at that for a second. When you say that struggles lead to mental fortitude, I think that that's true. But I think that it's not necessarily that the they lead to mental fortitude. I think struggles So oper- when you have a kind of like advantages in life, I think what they really lead to is complacency. Yes. And and so I think the interesting thing about, you know, our people, Milo, which is like Twitch chat and gamers and Gen Z, is that our people struggle with motivation. But if you have struggles in life, motivation, you don't need motivation because the world is going to demand that you do something. So if yeah. we think about procrastination, like... You know, if you look at it, like if I have 10 days to work on an assignment or I have one day to work on an assignment, we view 10 days to work on an assignment as an advantage, as an opportunity. You have so much time. You can make such a good, like you can make such a good in-depth assignment. You can do a wonderful job. But if we actually look at it, the struggle situation, the person on the struggle bus with just one day, in some ways, that person's life is easier. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that it's easier from an absolute sense. What I'm saying is that if we actually judge and look within ourselves, we're going to discover some paradoxical stuff. And that external motivator, external pressures are generally speaking what we need to succeed. And in a bizarre way, if you're given opportunities and you have advantages, in a weird way, like that's actually like, more difficult because you have to rely more on internal motivation as opposed to external motivation and external motivation is harder for or or easier is easier for our generation than internal motivation Mm -hmm. what is that if we what do you think about all that yeah that resonates with me that seems accurate i think resonate um motivation maybe shouldn't be the the goal or the like operating factor um because motivation is something that is like fleeting i feel like internal motivation is discipline which okay. is okay so we can okay. more valuable yeah so <laughs> I'm going to do a video about what's motivation, what's discipline, and what's willpower. Okay, and how do those things affect our behavior? 
But so what does this mean for your self-judgment? In terms of the... Like, do you feel like you've... like So you view yourself as like have, having squandered opportunities, right? Yeah. But if opportunities are actually like... They may not actually... Or having advantages, you know? So I just encourage you to rethink that. And for, for people who are watching, also really rethink because other people look at your life and they see, oh, he's so lucky. Mm-hmm. Right? And, we, and, and they kind of... That's assume, part of it. That's a big part of it. Tell me about that. Like, that just adds to the kind of pressure, you know, of of feeling responsible, I guess, you know? Like, if, if you're going to, if you're going to have all this life and these opportunities, then you should... Uh, make something out of it Mm -hmm. so let me ask you something milo um so i want to talk to you a little bit about potential because what i'm hearing from here is potential does that Mm -hmm. make sense to you yes like milo you've got so much potential man you're a Mm -hmm. smart kid you've got financial resources you have you know it sounds like family that's supportive you've got so much potential by the way don't forget you wanted to talk about intelligence yep so that goes into this right because you're so smart milo you have so much potential have people told you that yeah how does that feel um i think it used to feel a lot different than it does now how like, did it used to feel? Because I heard that when I was little. A yep. lot. And um, maybe that's part of what led to like kind of coasting by and not putting in the effort because it's like, oh, I, I have this advantage. I don't need to try as hard because I'll just, you know, have you seen be smart. So one of the first YouTube videos that I uploaded was about how intelligence leads to avoidance. Have you watched that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. If you guys haven't, I think that's probably the first video that really resonated with a lot of people and changed Mm -hmm. the way that they kind of looked at themselves. So I'd encourage you guys to check that out. But let's kind of come back to you. So you said that potential used to feel different. So how did it generally feel to you when people told you you have so much potential? Um felt like I was special. Mm-hmm. And, uh, special in what way? In that I had good things coming for me. Potential felt like an advantage or a promise of the future or what? Um, I guess I kind of looked at it like a promise and something that was just set in stone, you know, and I wouldn't have to do shit about and it would just fall into my lap. And looking at it that way is probably what now makes, you know, after I've become disillusioned, looking at it now is what makes me kind of um, almost like reject that term and and feel kind of weird and uncomfortable when, when I hear it. So let's talk about that. What do you mean by weird and uncomfortable? 
when people talk about your potential now, what do you feel? Um, a juxtaposition between, between like what could have been and what is like, how does that make you feel? Um, pretty disappointed, sometimes kind of hopeless. Okay. Uh, are you lagging? Am I lagging? Is it me? Hello? Did stream cut out? Folks? Oh noes. Okay. Let's see if he comes back. All right. Are you guys, uh, is this useful? Can we just check in with y'all? Wait, am I lagging? Or is it him lagging? Wait, who? Who is lagging? Yes to both. We're all lagging. Okay. Fuck. Oh, we're back. Can you hear me? Yeah, I see you. But okay. that's okay. All right. Okay, so. Oh, now I can see you. Okay. All right. So I was asking you, because I'm, I'm, so have you seen the video on alexithymia? Um, we may not actually have one now that I think about it. Maybe in my head. I know I've talked about it. I don't think so. Okay. Maybe I just need to make it. Oh, no, no. It's, it's in the set of content that we haven't uploaded yet. Um, so the other thing is I'm digging for your feelings because you're giving me lots of cognitive answers. Mm -hmm. But how does potential feel to you now? What's the feeling? You said a little bit disappointed and a little bit hopeless. What are you disappointed in? Um, my track record, I guess. Yeah. And, and this is going to sound kind of weird. So I'm going to try to make a couple points. Milo, you got to let me know if I'm being clear or not. Okay. I'm going to rely on okay. you. So the first thing is that you said that expect you used to have expectations that you could coast and now you are disillusioned. Mm-hmm. First thing to understand is let's look at the word disillusioned. So in order to be disillusioned, at some point you must have been illusioned. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So the like illusion that I could coast. But... Yeah, so like disillusion is like the loss of an expectation. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of like I mean, it's kind of an interesting word because illusion implies that it's something false to begin with, right? And if we look at sort of your mm. situation, I think that disillusioned is a great word because I think you had, fuck, are we losing you? Okay, there we go. Um, I, I think you had a false expectation about what your life was going to be like because it was fed. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Your video is like strobing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, so... I think you had kind of this illusion of what your life was going to be like that was based on false expectation. And so that's only going to lead to disappointment. You guys got to understand this. I mean, I've talked about this a thousand times, right? Like if you, if everyone tells you that a movie is going to be super awesome and then you go and you watch it, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. Like, how are you going to enjoy the movie? Like, what do you think? Your experience is going to be diminished. Absolutely. Because right? it has to live up to those expectations. 
So when you describe eight to nine years of depression, I don't know that you actually have a biological depression because that tends to be episodic in nature. What I hear from that is actually like a further and further disillusionment about your life. That's what I think has been going on. That you started to have expectations about what your life was going to look like and it was kind of vague. You just know it was going to be good. And because, Milo, you're such a smart boy. Oh, he's such a smart boy. You know, he's so clever. Mm-hmm. And then life started to like get hard for you and you kind of didn't know how to handle that. You didn't have the mental fortitude because things were easy for you early on. Yeah. And so you became more and more disillusioned and life became harder and harder. And once again, you were given all these promises about how you're so smart and you have so much potential. So now we get to the next point, which is if I had, if I gave you a blueprint for a shack and I gave you a blueprint for a mansion, which one has more potential? Um... I mean, the the seemingly obvious answer is the mansion. I don't ask trick questions, man. I'm not trying to trick anyone. Okay. It's the mansion. Now, here's the next important question. Which one is harder to build? The mansion. Absolutely. So this is the biggest mistake that people make about potential. They think that potential, because potential is a mansion, right? That's what potential is. Like the very definition is a blueprint of what you could be in life. The biggest mistake that people make is that they think that potential makes their life easy when in fact it makes your life hard. Potential is a burden. It is a burden for greatness and it is a burden of success. But it requires so much more effort than having low potential. So if I take someone who has cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or has had like a neurological injury, if they had like hypoxia during childbirth, which means that they didn't get enough air to the brain or something like that, how much potential do I have? Do they have? Um, in the traditional sense of the word, probably not very much. Exactly, right? So it's very good that you said in the traditional sense. So if we think about what they're cognitively capable of, They can still accomplish great things because it's not just about your raw IQ. But generally speaking, when we think about, you know, what someone is capable of and we think about IQ as like, you know, the bar by which we measure, and there are lots of other bars to measure things by, Mm -hmm. you know, we think of them as quote unquote low potential. And we think about smart kids as quote unquote high potential. But I want you and everyone else to understand this. The higher your potential is, the harder your road is. Or not maybe harder isn't the right word. Maybe longer your road is. The more you're going to have to invest in realizing that potential. Right? If I take one acre of land and I say I'm going to build a farm and I take 100 acres of land and I say I'm going to build a farm, one has way more potential. But the the more potential you have, this is the mistake you made. You thought that that means potential equals less work. Mm -hmm. Intelligence equals less work. If you really study it, it means the exact opposite. You have, you have a great, great burden on your shoulders, Milo, because I believe you, you are capable of greatness. I really do. Yeah. But I think that that thought should not make your life easy. I think that thought should fucking terrify you. Mm-hmm. 
because the prospect of failure is like catastrophic. That if you have a hundred acres of land and that you're supposed to build a farm with that, that if you fuck up, there are going to be a hundred times as many people who go hungry than if you had low potential. Mm -hmm. That capability and responsibility are one and the same. This is the law of karma, right? To whom much is expected. Much is given, much is expected, because that's the only way it works. It is silly to expect someone, if you have 10 loaves of bread, you can feed 10 people. If you have one loaf of bread, unless you're Jesus, you can only feed one person. Mm -hmm. And so Milo, if I had one kind of bit of advice for you, it's to re-examine how you view yourself, re-examine what your opportunities are, and re-examine your sense of disillusion and, or disillusionment or disappointment. I, need to, I think you've got to completely reformulate this and think a little bit about potential as a burden. Think a little bit about, you know, the reason that you failed is not because, and this also is kind of where ego comes in and where, like, you compare yourself to other people and people tell you that you're intelligent and all that kind of stuff, is that in order for you to achieve, you're looking at 100 acres of land and what you're doing is you're saying, I was unable to cultivate these 100 acres and you're sometimes kind of saying that it should be just as easy as someone who has one acre of land. Some, mm -hmm. In some weird way, I don't know how else to explain that, but I think your mind is actually making an unfair comparison. I think that you should cut yourself some slack because if you are smart and if you do have resources, you know, that's actually going to require a lot more work for you to like bring that to fruition. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe the comparison that you're making is you're saying that, okay, like, cultivating one acre of land should be easy if I have a hundred acres. And so maybe you're making, you're making some weird comparison, which I think at the end of the day is unfair. And I think what you should do is, is really understand that like you're trying to build a mansion. And if you have more resources, that mansion is even bigger and let that sort of, you know, let that be a struggle instead of an opportunity. And the odd thing is that if it becomes a struggle, I think that, that's going to lead to the mental fortitude that you're talking about. That's going to lead to realistic expectations of what you're capable of and realistic expectations of how far you need to go. And hopefully it'll start to address your disillusionment. Because the disillusionment comes from the idea that 100 acres of land is, is like easier to cultivate than one acre of land. Mm -hmm. Thoughts? Questions? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, like, I think to a certain extent, I don't know. Like, I... I oh, you just cut um, out. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I totally understand what you're saying about, um, like, just needing a shift in the way... I view myself. Sometimes I imagine if like like Terry Crews or somebody just like possessed me and entered my body like obviously my life would be a lot different than it is now if they were to just start being me in my body. So it's clearly just a matter of like 
mental expectation at a certain level. Where, yeah. where does that train of thought leave you? How do you feel about yourself when you think about that? Like, I mean, this is something that I kind of intellectually understand, but maybe something I haven't really embodied, including a lot of what you've been saying, which is just that, um, you know, a shift in uh, perspective will can lead to um, a lot of Hold on. No, don't get away from my question. How does it make you feel about yourself when you think about the Terry Crews in, in, in inhabiting your body? Oh. Um, bad. Like, like I'm not the, the same thing with like kind of squandering what I have, you know, that, that same wheelhouse of like, um, you know, not, not utilizing what I have and what I've been given. Yep. So <laughs> the hardest battles that we fight are the ones that we fight against ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because, like, we're always the winner and we're always the loser. Yeah. And I, I think you really need to recalibrate how hard a mental shift is. Fixing something in the external world is way easier than fixing something in the internal world. And mm-hmm. I don't think that most people in our, most of us, right? And I'm talking about Twitch chat and and Gen Z or whatever, we don't really understand that or accept that. We don't accept, we don't, we do not acknowledge for ourselves that changing yourself is actually like really hard. We think that a mental shift because it sounds easy and it looks easy should be easy because we look at someone like Terry Crews and he makes it look so easy. Yeah. And we look at ourselves and we say, we are not like him. Man, it's so easy. He just gets up every day. Like, all you got to do is just do it. I just need to get up every day. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's hard. And we don't, we don't forgive ourselves and we don't practice any amount of self-compassion for failing to do what is difficult. We have a perception yeah. that it's easy, but I'm telling you guys. So just to give you an example... When I tried to become a monk at the age of 21, my teachers told me that I had to finish school. So they said, we'd love to have you, but come back when you're 30. And I was a little bit disappointed. And they said, you have to finish school and then you have to go get a doctoral degree. And then I was kind of confused. I was like, what do you, why do I have to become like a doctor of some kind? So I had like two or three mentors. One of them was a neuroscientist trained at Caltech. The other one was a quantum physicist. And these were my two spiritual teachers. And I was like, why do I need to get like, they're like, you need to go get a PhD or MD or JD or something and then come back when you're 30. And I was like, why? And they said that anything that you do in the, in the material world is going to be one tenth as difficult as what you do in the spiritual world. Any external accomplishment that you set your mind to is going to be infinitely easier than any internal accomplishment that you set your mind to. Internal growth is actually the most difficult thing. That's why self-actualization is at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. 
it's the hardest to achieve. It's not actually the easiest. And we don't understand that. So I set a goal to myself that I was going to become the best physician I possibly could. And I set that goal not because I wanted to become the best possible physician. I mean, I didn't care about being a good physician. I just realized unless I can become a really, really good physician, I'm going to fail at what my real goal is. Becoming a physician is about, is training for me. It's not the end. And I decided I wanted to become a monk. And sure enough, I did a good job. So, you know, ended up as a Harvard Andy. And I will still tell you guys, I know this is going to be hard to hear, but I think accomplishing what I did in the material world is still a fraction of the difficulty is like the internal change that I had to accomplish. Right? So when we look at someone who's materialistically successful, we look at that as hard. But I want you guys to just think about this for a second. For Milo, for you to become a Harvard-trained physician, is that going to be... What do you have to change? Something on the outside world or something on the inside world? Um, both. Absolutely. Which one do you think is going to be harder? Internal. Absolutely. For sure. But do yeah. you treat yourself that way? Um, maybe. I mean, because it's the it's the internal kind of personality that I have that gets the most shit from like my ego and stuff. That's the one who's saying like, Oh, you've squandered these opportunities. Yep. You know, you're, you know. Yeah. So you probably also have a some scar there, which if we, if we have a chance to talk again, I think it's worth exploring where the origin of your, your, your kind of complex around squandering opportunity comes from. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't think that's, that's not really you. That's like an emotional trauma that you have that says Milo's a fuck up who squanders opportunities. Do you think that's potentially from a past life? uh, Past life? I have no idea. That's why I'm saying it requires Mm -hmm. a, a, a conversation for us to dig into. Yeah. Right. But, but I'm sensing within you, like almost like in, in the round table of your mind, one of the nights at the table is this complex of squandering opportunity. (laughs) Yes. That is a funny image. Yeah. So you've got like a bunch of Milo's who are trying to get shit done. And then there's just one guy who's just like, fuck you guys. You squandered all your opportunities. (laughs) And then sometimes yeah. he just dominates the table. He's played by Danny DeVito. <laughs> Absolutely, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. He's so physically small, but fills up the room so 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 profoundly. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Very deep. Yeah. It's five head kind of stuff. Anyway, thoughts, questions? Um, are you talking like wrap up questions or questions of what we just all of the above? Okay. I I have two kind of, let me first ask you, where do you think we are in terms of the, the, you know, the, the conversation? So like, where, like, do you feel like you want to go for a while or do you feel like we've kind of covered some good stuff? Like, where do you feel like, where are we between zero and, and a hundred percent? 
Um, this has all been very useful and nourishing for me mentally. I could totally stop here. Um, I do have a, a couple things that I would like to address. Um, and those could like potentially keep us going for a while. Sure. Um, cause they're kind of pretty tangential to okay. what we've been talking about. Um, so the first is, um, about you, you went to like an ashram mm -hmm. and you, your dharma right now is to just be an incredible physician and to do AOE healing for as many people as possible, correct? Not really, but sure. So I, I don't think that my dharma is to be an incredible physician, right? So your dharma is not being about an incredible anything. So first of all, right? So okay. uh, incredible has to do with outcome. It's not about action, right? right. So like, like, let's just think about that for a second. So my dharma is simply mm -hmm. to try to help, I think, you guys more so than even be a physician. I think mm -hmm. my, my physician training has been, has been training for the final boss of my dharma, which is to help y'all. My dharma simply so, what is to help you. Okay, is there... Like, is there something that that is building up to like do you think you're gonna go at any point and and go back to the ashram and and redevote yourself um yeah like is is there is there kind of more of an end game that you have yes so i think when my dharma is complete then i will go back to the ashram so my dharma being complete is going to happen in a couple of ways one is that if something catastrophic happens and I lose my wife and my two kids, I'm going to become a monk. Um, if I feel like you guys are doing okay or people arise who can do the work that I am doing so that I don't have to worry about doing it myself, then I could go in that mm -hmm. direction. I have multiple dharmas, right? So I have kids, so I can't disappear because I'm responsible for their upbringing and financial security and things like that. I would love it if, um, so in my heart of hearts, I would love to go back to studying and learning myself, but I feel like I don't have the yeah. time for that. So the other thing to understand is that when we think about dharma, we think about finding your dharma as if it's like one dharma. So dharma evolves over time. Mm -hmm. So this is only my dharma for now. And for people who are looking for their dharma, it's not like you have to find the one thing that is your dharma. It's what is your dharma today? What is your dharma now? So I think like your, and I think the majority of you guys are in something called Brahmacharya Ashram. So I got to make a video about these. Which is that you guys are in the training phase. You guys are in the learning phase because you're, mm -hmm. you're not prepared to do shit. Like you guys have to understand that in order for me to do this dharma, I had to train for 15 years. And during those 15 years, like I thought I was going to be a lot of things that I was not. Originally, it was a monk, then it was a doctor. And then before it was a doctor, it was originally I was going to be an oncologist and, you know, save lives. And mm -hmm. then I had to go through the struggle of, quote unquote, not being a real doctor by being a psychiatrist because psychiatrists aren't real doctors. And I might yeah, even had to deal with course. that and things like that. And then I was going to be a psychiatrist. And now I've realized actually like psychiatrist is not, I mean, that's just my background. 
Mm-hmm. But what I want to do is this. Yeah. Well, you're very good at it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your cool. question? Yes, it does. Question two. I read this book about Kriya Yoga. Okay. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on specifically Kriya Yoga. What is your understanding? Why don't we, why don't we start by explaining what Kriya Yoga is? So I, that's <laughs> that's part of what I am confuzzled about. Like a Kriya <laughs> is like a repetition. Okay. Is that right? Sure. So Kriya has one okay. one root in the word action. Yes. And and the the like it's kind of separate from Hatha Yoga. Mm-hmm which is like the kind of westernized version of yoga. Sure. Or the one that the West has kind of adopted, rather. Very good. Good question. Um, And, like, it seems to be primarily about, like, it's it's very chakra-focused and very breath-focused. Mm-hmm. And... It's been a difficult book to to kind of digest. Um, there's a ton of like there's a glossary in the back of okay. all the like Sanskrit words, yep. and like half of the actual words in the book are in the glossary. Like half of the like yep. weird ass yeah. words. So, um, but I there's a there's a YouTube channel that I watch for spirituality a lot called Mm. actualize.org. And he talked about um, Kriya Yoga as being kind of the, like basically the most direct, no bullshit um, kind of enlightenment path for yoga. And that's something I'm very much attracted to is, is the concept of um, of spiritual enlightenment okay. and kundalini. So let's... Okay. So I don't know exactly what your question is, but my guess is that you just want general elucidation about all of that. Yes. <laughs> right? Okay. So so this is good. Okay. So what I'm making a list of like videos I need to make. So let me try to answer your question. Let's start with basics, okay? So Kriya, I think, has its Sanskrit root in the word action. And Mm -hmm. Kriya Yoga is the systematic process of refining and improving your consciousness. So we have this thing called consciousness. Mm -hmm. And what is consciousness? So I, I, I don't know how to put this, but, you know, there are times in your experience where you're able to wrap your head around an understanding. Right. Like you like it's like the light bulb going off or you fully understand something or you have this brilliant idea or you connect a couple of things. And there are other times where you sort of like remember sort of what you understood, but you don't quite understand it now. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and so even today, like you've said that intellectually, you're beginning to understand how maybe like 
potential is a burden instead of an advantage. And maybe you haven't really squandered things and it's been hard for you, but your consciousness has not wrapped its head around yeah. that concept. You can understand it intellectually, but you don't sort of understand it. Like it, you, you use the word embodied. Yeah. Use the word embodied. So you haven't embodied that concept, but you understand it intellectually. So the first thing to understand is that consciousness is not the intellect. Consciousness is that thing which allows you to embody that knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's allow it, it allows a higher state of consciousness allows you to quote unquote get it. And if you think about how people change, people who get it start to change their behavior, and people who don't get it start to not change their behavior or don't change their behavior. Right? Yeah. When you think about Terry Crews embodying you and taking control of you, what you're essentially saying is that someone who gets it is going to start taking control of me, and I don't get it, so it's hard for me to change. Mm -hmm. So the hard thing about this whole process is that I can share with you guys information, but I can't make you get it. You can lead a horse to water, yeah. but you can't make him drink. So part of what I try to do is like help people get it, because that's where change comes from. And mm -hmm. sometimes what I basically try to do is cultivate like a certain kind of consciousness. And those are the quote unquote breakthroughs that you guys see on stream. Right. And everyone like longs for that because when they look at that, they see like, okay, this something has changed in this person. You guys can look at someone and you can say like something has changed in this person. Has that happened sure. to you yet on stream today? I mean, I haven't had like a mystical experience like, um, like that guy who was the incel, quote unquote. Yeah, that was just fucking wild. Broke down and he was like sobbing and laughing at the same time. Yeah. That was like a very, very beautiful. Yeah. Experience. So it hasn't happened for you, right? I think we'd all be able. I to suppose not. Yeah. I, I've I've had this kind of like building energy this whole time. Like it almost feels like the sensation of like nervousness or or excitement. <laughs> Um, it's like a, it's like a dispersed, diffused version of that, yep. I think, of the, of the... So you are in the process of, of coalescing, experience. right? As it builds, you're coalescing and concentrating. We're not there yet. I don't think we're going to get there today, which is fine. Um, mm -hmm. so let's just first understand that this is what consciousness is. So Kriya Yoga is... In a sense, it's a direct path because the focus is not on something else. The focus is on what are the practices that refine our consciousness? What are the practices that enhance our consciousness? That's what Kriya Yoga is about. So in some ways, it is a very direct path. But I want you guys to understand that, you know, saying one path of yoga is more direct than another path of yoga is in of itself a comparison and therefore false. There is no better path of yoga than there are just different kinds of yoga just like they're different kinds of people. It's kind of like saying, which job is the best? It's like, there isn't a best job. It depends on the person. So mm -hmm. Kriya Yoga is just kind of a systematic process of refining one's consciousness. And I think it is a relatively speaking, a direct path. It is also relatively speaking, very difficult. Yeah. Because you're directly engaging with the stuff. It's kind of like, you know, it, there's a certain purity of it, which makes it, more potent but that purity also makes it more difficult like you can't mm -hmm. it's kind of like saying you know rock climbing 
is a more direct workout than climbing stairs. Like you're going to like, you're going to get more in shape by rock climbing than you will by climbing stairs. Yeah. But it's also way fucking harder to do. And it doesn't mean that it's actually the best path because climbing Mm -hmm. stairs is like pretty doable and we can start low and go slow and you can kind of get there in the end. Yeah. So is rock climbing better or is using a stair stepper like better? Mm -hmm. That's just too different. Exactly. So is one more direct? Yes. But it also means that it's more difficult. Yeah. So let's talk for a second about Hatha yoga. So Hat or Hat is translated the Sanskrit word for adamantite. Right? So oh, like shit. Yeah. Right, right? So Hat is is about severity. Hat is about directness, it's about steadiness, and it's kind of like physical. So Hatha yoga is also pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Hatha yoga is the idea that you can just use your fucking body to get enlightened. All this fucking consciousness bullshit and this thinking and contemplation and enlightenment and coalescing of energies and chakras and Oprah and and be in touch with yourself and essential oils. Hatha yoga is like, fuck that. We're going to train your body until you become enlightened. And that's enough. Just body, 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 body. The reason that it's expanded so easily in the West is because Kriya yoga is hard to do. And we are mm-hmm. so spiritually starved as a population that Hatha Yoga gives us like it's a very easy sequence of things that you can start doing that helps people like feel better in weird ways that they don't even understand. So Hatha Yoga is very accessible. I don't think of it as inferior. I used to, but I've come to realize that that's just fucking arrogance and ego. Mm-hmm. And that there is a 26-year-old woman named Stephanie who is just as likely at becoming enlightened by going to a yoga studio five days a week as I am, despite all of my extensive hardcore going to India shit, right? Mm -hmm. She can just do yoga and not understand what the fuck she's doing. She can still get enlightened. Not any better or worse than I am. So Hatha yoga is good because it's accessible. It's easy. You don't have to, you know, and it, you can still go hardcore because like, that's where all the human pretzel stuff comes in. Right. Mm-hmm. So to do tapasya for an hour, I'll show you guys a particular posture like towards the end of stream, right? Which you guys can try. That's going to be our meditative practice for the day. So you guys can try to do the traditional tapasya, which means penance posture, which is a, a, a yoga posture or meditative posture, which has to do with the accumulation of spiritual energy. Teach you a relatively direct version of that. Okay. Um, so that's what Hatha yoga is. So you understand what Kriya yoga is and what Hatha yoga is? Yeah. Any questions about that so far? Um, I I don't. I think it was you who said this in a previous video or stream, but you said that yoga is like preparation for meditation. Does that sound familiar? Yep. So what that so yoga does not actually mean. Yeah. So yoga is not what is not hatha yoga, right? So asan, mm-hmm. which is postures, physical postures. So when you go to a yoga studio, you're not doing yoga. What you're doing is asan or asana. Mm-hmm. We just translate that as yoga, but that's not really what yoga is. The root word of yoga. So another video. What is yoga? Okay. The root word of yoga is yuj, which means union or yoke. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of what I love about Sanskrit. Is like you know a lot of this stuff, a lot of realizations are kind of paradoxical. Like when you really understand something, it's sort of paradoxical. Yeah. Like potential is not really 
an advantage, it's a burden, which is kind of paradoxical. And I think the closer that you get to truly understanding something, the more paradoxical it kind of becomes, even though you understand it. So what is yoga? So yoga is, it comes from the Sanskrit word yuj, which means union or yoke. And that's kind of weird because yoke is not Y-O-L-K, it's Y-O-K-E. Do you know what a yoke is? Like a yoke that pulls a wagon or a exactly. yoke? Exactly. So it's Y-O-K-E. Like, so a yoke is something that binds the wagon to like the cow or the buffalo or the bull or the horse, mm-hmm. right? It's yoked. It's bound. So yoga is, and it also means union, which is sort of bound or unbound. Uh, anyway, what that means is, is that yoga is the process of becoming one with the infinite. So there's this idea in yoga that we have an individual soul, and that the individual soul is a piece of something called Paramatman, which is the universal soul. So that the basic unit of existence is consciousness, and that mm-hmm. we sort of separate from the cosmic consciousness to become an individual unit of consciousness, which is like a self. And the goal of yoga is to rejoin with like a droplet that gets pulled out of the ocean to like rejoin with the ocean. Yeah. And if we kind of think about it, like when a droplet separates, so are there droplets in the ocean? Yeah. Really? I uh, I mean, I guess a droplet is defined by by its distinction, its barrier. So excellent, right? Yeah. So that is a moment of consciousness, right? So you repeated, mm-hmm. and then you stopped, and you thought, and you learned something. Yeah. So the droplet only exists outside of the ocean, and when a droplet goes back into the ocean, what happens to the droplet? non-duality what does that mean speak plainly it is reabsorbed into itself which is its natural form one could argue yeah so if i pull a, a, a droplet out of the ocean again is it the same as the droplet before no is it different from the droplet before uh the individual molecules possibly are possibly right so the short answer Mm -hmm. is possibly so what is the relation between two droplets maybe there's something the same maybe there's something different so this is what Mm -hmm. they mean by atman and paramatman so you are an individual person and you've kind of separated from something and yoga is the process of rejoining that thing Mm -hmm. that's the true self okay and that's why like in anyway hard to understand this stuff. You really have to experience it. So yoga is the process of rejoining that thing. That's what it means by union. And at the same time, it is also the process of unyoking yourself. So it's the process of becoming unbound to this person that you are in this life. So when we think about the identity Mm -hmm. and the ego, generally speaking, we become happier as we become unbound from ourselves. When you get caught up in being popular in high school, you're very bound to your identity. You're trapped by it, and it fucking Mm -hmm. sucks. As you become unbound from your identity or your ego, you start to chill out and you start to enjoy things more. So yoga is the process of becoming unbound and at the same time becoming joined with something else. So it's kind of like binding and unbinding at the same time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are many paths to get to yoga. Kriya yoga is one. 
Hatha yoga is another. And you just have to figure out what's kind of right for you. Mm-hmm. Now, chakras involve more kundalini yoga. So kundalini yoga is sort of the, the path of... So you can think about it this way. There are a thousand... Like how, how many ways are there for a droplet to get back in the ocean? Basically infinite. Right? So you can become rain. You can become river. You can become mist. You can, you know, there are all kinds of ways. You can be carried. People can dump you in the ocean. There are a lot of different ways to rejoin. And that's what the different paths of yoga are. Mm -hmm. Is rain better than the river? No. It's a dumb question. It's different. Yeah. It's like just, it doesn't even compute. Right? So is Kriya Yoga better than Hatha Yoga? Not necessarily. It's just, you have to figure out what it is. It sounds to me Mm -hmm. like you're not ready for Kriya Yoga yet. So Kriya Yoga is an advanced practice. And I would say mm-hmm. that people should start with basic practices, even if you guys want to go get to the hardcore shit, which I'm with you 100% because I love the hardcore shit. Yeah. I haven't like, I mean, now less so, but for a long time I had kind of this ego thing where I want to do like hardcore spirituality and go to an ashram instead of go to a yoga studio where like Stephanie and Michelle are doing their asana and then getting like their bleach blonde hair dye, mm-hmm. right? I, I Yeah, that's pl- part of the paradox, isn't it? How yep. all of it is, the entire pursuit is egoic even the pursuit of like you know removing your ego and yes returning to yes so so i would say that for you milo your your biggest step is actually probably going to a humdrum yoga class going to a what you cut humdrum yoga class okay Right. So I think you need to go there. You need to do those practices. Not only will it help you, but you'll have to grapple with your ego and you'll have to admit Mm -hmm. that you have to go the slow route, just the same as everyone else, instead of ordering that secret power book and (laughs) and finding the the secret power that that will accelerate your fucking no, man. I'm I'm all for forbidden knowledge and all that good stuff. I love that kind of stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, just start low and go slow. And I'll teach you a practice today if you want to go hardcore. Okay. Does that answer your questions? Yeah, 100%. Okay. All right, so shall we transition to practice? Sure. Okay. So I'm going to teach you guys tapasya, okay? So this is going to be hard to explain, and I can't hear you now, okay? So let me just see. I mean, I, I can't even see myself. So this is the posture of tapasya, heart of jeans. Can you do it? So you're, you're, can you hear me? Not, oh, you have headphones, okay. So your heel and leg should be above your knee on your inner thigh. Good. All right, so practice that, and then you can go to the other side. Ah! (laughs) So you guys should try this at home. Give it a shot. So breathe. Milo, breathe. It'll make it easier. Deep breath in and deep breath out. 
There you go. Just make sure you keep breathing. Stability comes from breath. Look at that. All you have to do is breathe. Fucking weird, but just keep doing it. You guys see that? Let go of the tension. Focus on your breath and see what your body is capable of. Beautiful. If you're having difficulty, just focus on your breath. Hold the position. Go ahead and switch over to the other side. Right? So no preparatory practice for us today. No basic asana. And breathe. If you want to make it easier on yourself, you can open your eyes because your, your brain has three different circuits that regulate balance. Eyes will help. Eyes open will help you balance. Continue breathing. And now relax. Close your eyes. Let your arms come down, leg come down, and just feel your body. Just sit in the space of your mind. Notice what your breath is doing. And then go ahead and come back. <clears throat> hardcore enough for you yeah that'll do <laughs> how was it See, the hardcore the hardcore part is like doing that every fucking day doing anything every fucking day i think is the the really tricky aspect so tapasya is good because it is hard. So mm -hmm. I think this is a very good practice to train yourself to do something every day. I don't know how else. To... I feel like tapasya makes it, the amount of focus that you gain from doing the tapasya practice, what you really are doing is it requires like a full forced concentration of the mind. And that kind of XP gain like levels up your ability to like stick with something. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It's like a psycho-somatic spiritual practice that I think like literally boosts your like willpower. So it's like it's a powerful technique that is designed to accumulate energy, like spiritual energy. And then the more spiritual energy you accumulate, the easier it is to manifest things in the real world. And mm -hmm. if we think about doing something every day, like those those things that are that are manifest when something, when your intentions become a reality, that requires, why are you smiling? Nothing. What? Don't worry about it. Okay. When you think about manifesting a reality, it requires like focus every day. So tapasya sort of directly allows you to like, gets you closer to manifestation. Okay.
questions before we wrap up for the day? Um, all right, one more. So I meditate every day. I meditated before stream mm -hmm. and I am like, all I do is just sit and try and focus on my breath to the point where like I have no thoughts. Um, I used to, like, I used to kind of be in that space, be able to kind of, uh, be in like a, um, a, a mindful, I think mindless is a better word than mindful, but a, a mindless, a mindless state for like, like three to five seconds at a time, maybe when I, when I really had my routine going in college, um, and lately, I, I'm not sure if it has anything to do with like the medication I'm taking or anything, but it's almost impossible to, I've been, I've been meditating every day for like three months and it's almost impossible to kind of return to that space. Yeah. So what was your experience? What was your mind doing? What was happening within you during the tapasya practice? During what we just um, did. I don't know. I don't so, paying attention. Yeah, so think about that for a second, right? When mm -hmm. when are you not aware of what your when can you not remember what your mind is doing? When can you not remember what your mind is doing? Yeah, when can you not remember what your mind was doing? Let's put it that way to be more precise. Uh when you weren't conscious Absolutely. at the time right so when your mind was not active or was not awake so i i think that that the focusing on the breath practice is too simple for you like you can mm -hmm. continue doing it if you want but if you're interested in kriya yoga you need more intensive meditation practices that force the focus of your the, uh, the concentration of your mind and i think mm -hmm. you were concentrating very very heavily with very little mental activity during that tapasya practice which is why mm -hmm. you don't really rem like it's not like you were thinking about stuff right you weren't like thinking about the weather or whatever your sly smile a few seconds ago like those are all thoughts mm -hmm. you weren't doing that it was just a struggle and like your mind was the, the position of your body was demanding the focus of your mind it's like we don't have time to think about anything we're trying to mm -hmm. just keep it together and then you may have sent like a direction to your mind you could say okay breathe and then as you breathe, things calm down. But like, that's exactly what you need. You need a meditative practice that demands the attention of your consciousness and your focus. Yep. And it's not, you shouldn't have to struggle to do it. Like, it's not a struggle because you just, you can't fucking, if I were to tell you, so get, get up again. Do the tapasya practice. Okay, so like your mind is pretty active right now. So close your eyes, uh, do whatever you need to to hold it. Focus on breathing. And now tell me about the last match of War 3 you played. Um, I went Thorn Chieftain with Headhunters. What's happening to you? I'm failing to balance. 
Good. So let your balance return. Closing my eyes for like 0.1 seconds. Okay, whatever you need to. Good. What was the enemy hero in that match? I don't remember. How did the match go? Uh, I lost. Tell me about um, over the 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 history of War Three. Have you had a, a favorite patch? Uh, no, I'm not that. Most of the time, I just play custom games, so I don't really give a fuck. Okay, so what is your mind? What do you notice within yourself as I'm asking you these questions? A lot of tension in my body. Okay. So I, I would imagine that there are periods of intense focus that it's almost like like what you're doing is throwing a ball up in the air and trying to do something. Like when I ask you a question, it's like you're throwing a ball up in the air and you're trying to answer it before your attention returns to the body. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm so, kind of re- recentering myself by staring at the wall. Yep. So come back down. So it's interesting, right? Like that, try as you might to activate your mind, your answers were fucking slow. Like you were saying like one or two words. And if I ask you about like your experiences in War 3 now, I'm sure you would be fluent in it. But your mind is like, you're trying to like jumpstart your mind, but the practice is like, no, fuck, we don't have time for your mind right now. So that's what a meditative practice should be. The purpose yeah. of asana, and this is why asana is so good, is because it automatically, you don't have a choice. It makes it easy for you to concentrate. And then like the second your mind starts thinking, it's like you start wobbling. And you were getting better yeah. at it because you were getting better at almost throwing it up. Okay, I'm going to have a thought and then back to focus. I'm going to have a thought and back to focus. And if you think about a mindfulness practice, it's the opposite. It's lots and lots and lots of thoughts, little bit of focus. Lots and lots and lots and lots of thoughts, little bit of focus. Yeah. And so meditation is not supposed to be hard. Like if you understand meditation and so I think the biggest problem with meditation is that people learned a certain kind of meditation and were taught by gurus who understood meditation. And then they became certified teachers and started teaching the protocol and they lost the knowledge of how to teach meditation because we care about certifications And if you get, if you take this eight week course, then you are a meditation teacher and you can go and teach others. And they all teach the same technique, the same technique, same technique, same technique, because, and that's what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is like one of the thousand different techniques of meditation. And if you learn the right technique of meditation, you can fucking try to start your mind and it's going to, it's not going to work. It's like your battery is dead. So do tapasya. All right. Okay. Questions? Thoughts? I love you. Love you too, man. Good luck. Thank you for everything you do. I will. You're most welcome. We're rooting for you. Come back and and be a success story for us. Keep going, okay? Sounds good. Also, last thing, I I was supposed to talk to you about intelligence. I think you are intelligent. I think you just need to understand that you're... It doesn't have to do with ego. I think you're very smart. But... That's separate. It's just a tool. It's like one of the stats on your character sheet. You know, you don't have to get egotistical yeah. about it. But you also don't need to think of yourself as not intelligent because that too is egotistical. 
Yeah. Right. So like your intelligence is what it is in the same way that your height is what it is and that your, you know, your yeah. eyes are the color that they are. It is just one attribute of you. It is just a fact. It does not mm-hmm. need to be exciting, nor does it need to be disappointing. Neither of those things. Yeah. I just wish it wasn't such a warshipped quality. Beautifully put. What do you mean yeah. by that? Can you explain that? Um, it's just like a dick swinging contest, basically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just um, trying to seem smarter than someone else, and it's a waste of energy. I think the reason that it's worshipped is actually a little bit of a mistake because I think we use intelligence as an umbrella term for all kinds of capabilities that different people have. But really what we're saying is capable, and we just call it intelligent. Mm -hmm. But it's all kinds of things. It's hard work. It's willpower. It's humility. It's practice. It's intelligence. But we just call him, oh, he's so smart. What that really means is he's good at something. Mm -hmm. But anyway. You know, when you look at someone who's fluent in a language, they you say, oh, that person is so smart. You don't see the thousands of hours that they put in. It's not that they're smart. Yeah. That they practice. <clears throat> but One quote from this Kriya book was, uh-huh. um, let me see if I can find it. Hmm. It was something like the dedicated person of average intelligence is capable of much more than the lazy or erratic genius. Absolutely, right? And Twitch mm-hmm. chat could have told you that because we're all erratic geniuses and no one, none of us are getting <laughs> fucking anywhere. For real. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll stop on that sentiment. Thanks for coming on, Milo. Strong yes. work and, and keep doing what you're doing. I think you're on a good path. Just keep trucking. All right? Thank you so much, doctor. Take care.